if I were to start all over again and do anything, I would start with wholesaling. I've tried and done multiple things as an entrepreneur and whatnot, but this is one of the most low barrier to entry opportunities out there, I think. Find somebody who can you know, help you cut the learning curve. Either go work for somebody, get a mentor. And I mean, it's not just about learning the knowledge, but it's tapping into the networks and really cutting five, 10 years from trial and error, which gets expensive. This is not a complicated process. It just takes tenacity. Right out of the gate, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of rejection. But if you keep your ultimate goal in line and you're driven by a purpose of you know scaling up and leveling up your lifestyle and gaining that level or that degree of freedom, financial freedom and time freedom, I mean, it's going to keep you this is the We Love Real Estate Podcast. My name is Sean and I love real estate. In this weekly podcast, we interview the top real estate investors and professionals who share their knowledge and expertise to help you become a real estate investing boss. So if you love real estate and want to level up your investment game, then you've come to the right place. And now, on to the show. What's going on investors and welcome to episode 268 of the We Love Real Estate Podcast with Sean Pan. On today's episode, we have Rafael Cortez. Rafael is a real estate coach and wholesaler, and in this episode, Rafael will share how he transitioned from flipping houses into wholesaling. He'll go over how wholesaling works and will share his advice on how to get started. He'll also talk about how his company generates leads, how much the marketing costs are, and how he's able to handle contracts for different states. So if you want to learn how to get started and you want to learn more about wholesaling, then you need to listen to this episode. As always, if you're an active real estate investor and you need a hard money loan for your next project, you can reach out to me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you next week. All right, Rafael, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Hey, Sean. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Rafael Cortez. I'm a real estate coach, so I have a, a wholesaling coaching program. I also own a couple of different businesses in real estate, a fix and flip company, I mean, a brokerage. I'm based out of Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, Arizona, one of the most competitive markets out there. And then my background is psychology. I'm an organizational psychologist. So that's where I come in. And actually, I coach a lot of businesses in different verticals as well. Uh, you're talking coaching in you know gyms, restaurants, that sort of thing. And the emphasis is really business development. That's my whole thing, right? I don't believe in, in the long-term hustle. I think hustle is a season. It's not a business strategy. So that's where everything that I do just kind of revolves around that big idea. Awesome. So I guess give us a background on how you got started with real estate investing and how did you end up where you are now today? Uh, real estate investing. So I launched my first business in 2007. That was a transportation business. Uh, I was coming off of the fire department. So I left the firehouse. I left the fire department. I launched a transportation business in the medical field. It was non-emergency medical transports. And I started, you know, I did that for a few years and I sold that company in 2014. But in the interim, I had some cash that I, you know, that I was able to put together because of that business. And I, I totally bootstrapped that one, right? And um, I wanted to just allocate it somewhere. So I started looking at fix and flip. I used to do a lot of construction uh, when I was in high school and college just to kind of, you know, put together during the summertime and whatnot. So I felt comfortable with that. And that's what I went back to. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to do a flip. I'm going to flip a house. And I found wholesaling, you know, a couple of years later. But the first stuff that I did was fixing and flipping. And the first one I did was in 2009. So it's been a few. Nice. So yeah, you took that experience from working on the job site to fixing, flipping your own houses. Yeah. Great. Because I mean, I flipped houses in the past before. But I had like a like an engineering background working on like satellites and stuff. So I had no idea about what home construction was like. So, you know, getting into it, I had no idea how to even fix a house at all. And I think that's to a disadvantage to me, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just have to trust everyone else to do their job. But in any case, how did you get into wholesaling from your fix and fit background? 
So uh, fast forward about a year and a half, I think. I was buying houses from, so I signed up to all these lists. And I mean, I was still running the other business, the medical transportation business. I was a CEO for that. So the whole fixing and flipping thing was just like a side gig, right? And I, I was doing everything myself. I was actually coming in and then doing the work, and which is a terrible idea. But every time I close on a property, you know, I would pay the fees. I just didn't recognize it because I didn't know what I was doing. So a couple of years later, I think it was like my fourth I wasn't too like super active at the beginning, but I think it was like my fourth flip where I where I actually saw in the settlement statement an assignment fee. And the assignment fee was, I think, like $22,000 on that one or something like that. It was like, what is this assignment fee? I'm like, well, that's what you're paying the guy that got you the contract. The, you know, they, the escrow officer told me that. So I, I reached back out to the guy, not because I was mad at them, but because I wanted to find out more. <laughs> it's like, so I've been doing this the whole time. And my spreads, man, like I almost broke even on the first one. So it was like months of work and not really making a lot of cash on that. I mean, like I said, I just didn't know what I was doing. And uh, yeah, so one thing led to another is like I figured that coming in and learning how to hustle and flipping the actual contract would be a lot easier than actually swinging the hammer. So I dove, you know, headfirst into that. And I started wholesaling in 2012. That's pretty funny. Like you, you didn't know about assignment fees until you actually saw it on your HUD. And uh, yeah, well, no, exactly. Nobody told me about that kind of stuff. And, and you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> Did your lender not tell you anything about that either? You what? Like was your lender not like, what is this? Like, why are you paying assignment fees and whatnot? No, I was paying cash for these things. Okay. So th that was, I mean, I was literally taking, I wasn't leveraging everything or anything. I was, I was in homes. I mean, you're talking to 2013. So, you know, we had $60,000 purchase prices and whatnot in Maricopa County, which now it's a myth, right? Now it's an urban legend. But yeah, so I would come in and then take $60,000, $70,000 out of my account and pay for the house and then run with it and then sell it for, I don't know, $2,000 profit, $3,000 profit. The first ones were kind of like that. I was like, man, this real estate thing is not what I thought it was going to be, right? But again, I didn't know what I didn't know. Then I started looking into it. I started looking at wholesaling. I started attending real estate uh, events and then really getting into circles with other people, uh, which just, I mean, opened up a whole new you know perspective on, on what wholesaling or real estate and all together really is. I mean, strategies, acquisitions, dispo and all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, but at the beginning it was just, I mean, now I think about it, it was somewhat funny. If I would have been in a spot where I couldn't cover my monthly nut, I would have been in trouble. But, you know, thankfully I had the other business going, so I wasn't too concerned to me. It was just kind of like the playtime, the side gig, but I was totally doing it wrong. So, you know, in my career, I've only wholesaled one deal so far, and that was with partners. And they did most of the legwork on like getting the contract assigned, I guess, yeah, getting the contract assigned somebody else. So how do you go about transitioning from doing fix and flip into getting into wholesaling? So the first thing that I came across was a, a podcast. I mean, YouTube University, right? Like that's kind of like where everybody goes. But I found a podcast. It was actually Sean Terry's uh, podcast, Flip to Freedom. And I listened to about five episodes, but he breaks it down. Like he goes into the whole, you know, general process of what wholesaling is. So, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy that all I need is some, you know, some type of direction. The rest of it, I'm going to figure it out, right? So I knew what to look for. Now I went back to doing some research on the internet and then putting stuff together. There was bumps and bruises along the way, but that, uh, just that knowledge right there, you know, steered me in the right direction. So I was like, I don't want to do flips anymore. I want to, you know, give wholesaling a shot. So I, I closed a couple of deals doing wholesale. And basically what wholesale is for anybody who's not used to it or heard about it is 
you negotiate a property, you go to, a, you find a distressed sellers or motivated sellers, right? And you negotiate a property below market value because there's some type of problem with it. Uh, retail properties do not pan out for this. They're not, you know, the type of uh, stuff that we're looking for. We're looking for stuff that can't be sold uh, traditionally, meaning they need a lot of uh, repairs. Uh, there's uh, circumstantial issues on the way, meaning, you know, there's relocation, divorce, you know, whatever. There's problems that have to be solved there that can't be done traditionally. So that's where we come in, right? So I started uh, looking for these and I locked up a couple of deals and whatnot. Funny thing happened after about right around 2013, it was, I think I got an email from Sean because I, I signed up for his email. He's based out of Maricopa County. So he's in my same, he's in my backyard and he was looking for an acquisitions rep, an acquisitions representative. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm here. My company was at that point, it was running itself. It was doing, you know, pretty autonomous. I was putting about four hours, six tops a week in, in that business. And I was like, if I'm going to go work anywhere else, uh, it's going to be somewhere where I get challenged. Right. And then, uh, so I did, I started working acquisitions with him and really cut the learning curve. I mean, just put me in front of a bunch of uh, seller appointments right out of the gate and started fine tuning the negotiations, you know, uh, a portion of it. Uh, eventually ended up selling the transportation business and then going, you know, full fledged into into real estate. And uh, I was working on my degrees on my psychology degrees at the time as well. So I was doing a couple of different things. Uh, but yeah, that's how I jumped all in into, uh, you know, went from from fixing and flipping to just wholesaling. I really forgot about flipping after I figured out that I could make 20, 30, $40,000 on on assignment fees. And, you know, pick, people pick their poison, right? To me, it's it's uh, it makes sense to come in and then present a solution to a problem and be in and out of a deal quick than be in a deal for three months and then, you know, swing the hammers, deal with, you know, crews and whatnot. We still cherry pick uh, some of the fix and flip projects that we come in, you know, we come across. But now we're we're first to seller. So we have the option to do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, there's also more risk involved when you're fixing, flipping your own property, especially if you're using leverage because you're on a time clock. Right. And again, like things could happen on the job site. Whereas for wholesaling, you're really just trading paper. Exactly. And if the deal doesn't go right, then worst case scenario, you cancel it and you lose your EMD if you even hire one in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. So and the, and the, uh, the technical aspect is you're trading. Um, yeah, you, like, like you say, right. But you're selling your vested interest in the, uh, in the contract. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Say that you have a property that's $100,000, you negotiate the property for $70,000, $60,000, whatever the amount is, and then you sell it to somebody who's going to come in and actually flip it uh, for you know $10,000 above what you got it, and then that's your profit. Depending on the extent of the uh, value that you can add to it, uh, the extent of the repairs that it needs, the area, supply and demand, there's a lot of factors that play into it. But I mean, you can make a good chunk of cash on wholesale assignments. We just closed one that was about, uh, no, I think we cleared $78,000 on that one. Um, and the average profit, like the average deal for us is about $32,000. Right now, we're at the, uh, the, the company's pretty much it's automated and delegated, right? So I have a pretty good team in place. It took me a while to build it, but we're doing around 12 deals a month on average around, you know, that amount for revenue. So it's, it's a pretty healthy business once it starts, you know, running. Yeah, absolutely. And what was that like, you know, going from a CEO role where you had your own like transportation business into, you know, working as an acquisitions manager for wholesaling? It was a little different, but I had a lot of autonomy. That's the one thing that, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm wired like that. I'm, I'm broken, right? As an employee, I wouldn't, I'd be the worst employee that anybody could hire, I think. It, just because I, I need to have that space for myself, that critical thinking ability. And you can't do that kind of stuff if you're blinded by, you know, glass ceiling. You know, that's my thought. Uh, but I had a lot of autonomy. Basically, I mean, we would come in and then do checkpoints uh, every week. 
come into a weekly meeting and then go forth and execute. As long as I came back the following week with a bunch of contracts, you know, everything was good. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I closed my first three deals or I'm sorry, three years consecutively. The first year I did 1.2 in revenue negotiated revenue so the revenue that I brought into the company and it just kept growing after that for the next uh, three years so i mean there was no issues in terms of you know wanting to micromanage me and that sort of thing so that helped right um so i was still you know 1099 employee is still kind of running my stuff but i saw that as an opportunity to learn i think it's one of the biggest things big tip out there if you are looking to learn how to wholesale and you got to cut the learning curve somehow either to go to a coach uh, go to a coach uh, that can help you do that or start working for somebody and if you're starting without any experience see it as a paid internship all right so do not expect to make millions of bucks year one if you're an acquisitions manager you know what i mean it's not your business it's gonna it's not gonna uh, roll that way however you can take advantage of somebody else's marketing dollars and apply that to your education create a win-win relationship between you and whoever you're working for are there any uh like inherent skills you think someone should have if they want to be a wholesaler I mean, sales is, is, it's one of those. I never thought I was good at sales. I'm really good at finding solutions though. So if, uh, it's not about the rebuttals, it's not about the, uh, okay, if they say this, you know, how do I respond? Uh, it's not about how do I drive them to that bottom dollar when it comes to wholesaling. And, and it, you know, there's really a stigma out there. When you say, uh, I'm looking for motivated sellers, people automatically think that you're out there ripping people off and trying to, you know, take them for as much as you can. And it's not the case. There's different ways that you can come in and provide solutions, right? It's just people don't have, um, um, a lot of times what I see is people will come in with the idea that uh, the problem is the amount of money that they're getting. That may not be the thing. Uh, it may be an emotional attachment to the property. It may be yeah, a matter of time, you know, what's keeping them. And then maybe they have a, a ton of cash. They just don't have the, the ability or energy to focus it on that property. You're going to see a lot of stuff like that. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because if there's an inherent skill that you need to have is, I mean, I don't know if it's a skill, but it's definitely a thought process. It's coming, come into these deals with a solution-based mentality. Uh, when you're there, you're not thinking scripts. When you're sitting across the table from a seller and negotiating a property, quote unquote, there's a process in place, right? To negotiate a property and just kind of steer the conversation. Uh, so you end up with a number and a signature. However, what happens in between, you have to have active uh, listening, you know, taking place and critical thinking in terms of providing solutions and crafting solutions around whatever individual situation they're having. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And let's flip this question around a little bit, you know, because we have a lot of listeners who are very interested in, you know, active real estate, whether it be fix and flip or wholesaling. So from your experience, again, you have hundreds of students who do wholesaling with you. Like, who do you think wholesaling, like what personality type is wholesaling for? And I guess what kind of people is wholesaling probably not for? I don't think it's not for anybody. I think it's a learned skill. All right. And if we're talking personality profiles, I mean, we can go, you know, straight back down to, to disc assessments, right? And keep it, you know, keep it simple. Uh, you have drivers. Drivers are going to be, normally, they're going to be more, more inclined for an acquisitions role uh, and negotiation, that type of stuff. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, somebody who's highly analytical can't learn those skills. We have learned behaviors. We can borrow stuff depending on the situation that we're in, right? That's a given. Now, the thing is, uh, when you're, think who, not how. So if you're really good, for example, at the dispo process, you're going to think who can help me in the acquisitions process. Now, how can I get better at the acquisitions process? It's a waste of energy and time. You have to know enough about the overall process just so, so you're dangerous in it. But it doesn't mean that you have to become the expert at closing, right? If that's not you. I'm a closer. I feel like I can close. That's my thing. So my thing is acquisitions. I delegate dispositions. 
Why? Because there's a lot of taskiness behind it. There's stuff that I, I don't want to deal with it. The people, actually, my director of operations, his background is engineering. He's a civil engineer. So he left that and then he went to work with me. Now he runs the uh, company as a director of operations, but he's also running dispositions and the team, right? So they're very detail oriented. I mean, they're, you know, the type of people, I'll, I'll put the machine together and they come in and then fine tune it. But it doesn't mean that, for example, my personality is not inclined to do dispo, right? Like you can do it all. We have the ability to adapt to each one of the behaviors that we need to. Just uh, the biggest thing that comes into play there is having the awareness that we can sustain it for a long time. For example, you're, you're an analytical uh, you know, type of a person, right? If, if I put you in a very social, active environment, you may be able to deal with it for two, three hours and feel okay. But if you overextend yourself and you stay there for seven, eight hours, you're going to be completely drained emotionally just because your energy doesn't line up necessarily with that environment, right? Uh, if you put somebody who loves to talk, like me, in an environment where it's just loud and there's a bunch of people, you know, being social and whatnot, I can last in that space for 10, 12 hours and be okay. It's just we have different strengths uh, when it comes to behavioral uh, tendencies. But the one thing is true, though, like we can't adapt to any of these as we progress, as we go along and, and build an actual business. That's a key, right? Building the business and plugging people in in the roles that they can actually perform, that they enjoy performing. Yeah, I think also the more you do a certain task, the more comfortable you get with it. Yeah. So just like, you know, we were saying, like, if I've never wholesaled a deal before, it's going to be very uncomfortable talking to a seller your very first time. But once you do it over and over again, then it becomes second nature. and It's no big deal. Exactly. One of the things that I teach is, is um, and I have a lot of people who are very reserved, right? They don't like to talk to a lot of people. And inevitably, this is something that's got to happen. Uh, why? Because we're... We need to have relationships with the seller. So I have them go through the ringer, at least have 100 conversations, you know, going through the cold calls and doing the taskiness. And then, you know, I'll walk them through the process of actually delegating that stuff. How can you hire somebody? How can you keep them accountable through KPIs, key performance indicators, and, and actually build the, um, the idea of automation and delegation within your business? Like, that's a big thing. You know what I mean? But I still have them go through a process because they have to prep, like they have to understand the conversations from a personal standpoint. When you're doing anything, and, and I mean, as entrepreneurs, right, we know that theory can go a long way. Theory, I mean, you see it right behind me. I have a library of books. It's all theory, right? Until we actually come in and then get our hands dirty. Uh, we start doing the thing. Then the real questions come up. Then, okay, cool, how that conversation went south like this. Or now I feel when I'm in that spot as opposed to just reading about it and then theorizing about it. Uh, when we're actually doing things, it's a different perspective. It just builds different skin. Uh, it gets thicker. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, also, there's a lot of like gray areas that you don't really encounter in books or through podcasts, but you only encounter them through experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I totally understand that. So can we walk over, like, uh, what's the process like for someone new? What do they do first and how do they get started with wholesaling? Well, I mean, there's there's different things that can happen if, uh, if you want to start wholesaling. I mean, at the end of the day, it simplifies into finding a motivated seller, right? Getting that property under contract and then selling it, selling that contract, not the property, but selling the agreement uh, to a buyer, a cash buyer. So it's three steps, right? Finding, locking and selling. That's it. Um, now, how to find motivated sellers. So that's going to depend on whether or not you have a budget. You're either going to put, you know, elbow grease and work into it, or you're going to put some money to, to ramp up the marketing on that side. Uh, there's ways to manage that stuff. So like two, uh, actually three of the most effective ways to find uh, sellers. I can give you those right now. Number one, uh, it's going to be uh, cold calling. 
you you get a list you skip trace it um, of the type of property that you're looking for in your areas and then um, skip tracing means that you will attach phone numbers to it and you start dialing you start just reaching out to those people and if you own any properties you've probably gotten calls like this hey uh you know my name is uh, rafael we're just buying uh, properties in the area i want to see if you're interested in a cash offer that type of thing uh, and there's scripts right we have a bunch of scripts in place and whatnot but that's one the second one we do a lot of sms text messaging to prospect for leads there's ways that you have to go about it so you stay compliant you don't get hit with fines uh, so it's, it's one of those gray areas but if you do it right it's a very effective way of tapping into the seller's market and then the third one which um, i think it's not the most favorite one of people because it it takes tenacity however i think it's the most effective one of all it's driving for dollars either you go door knocking or you drive around for dollars put together your own list and then start prospecting to that list so that's one way right and then uh, when you negotiate the deal you have a purchase agreement you come in you find the seller you start having that conversation figure out what the problem is figure out the solution come to terms on a price uh, you have to make sure that there's meat on the bone for that deal to be sold to somebody else you get the contract in place and then you dispo uh, meaning that you sell that deal to an end buyer. So, I mean, that's kind of like the, the brief outline. The way that you sell the deal, I mean, you can do it via email, you can do it via uh, social media groups. Eventually, when, you know, six months into it, you will have your own buyer's list and selling the deals becomes a lot easier. Uh, why? Because you can, I mean, most of our deals, for example, right now are sold through a phone call. So we'll lock it up and we have a very small VIP buyer's list that we call directly. Hey, listen, I have this deal. I have this deal. I have this deal. We'll, you know, go through that ringer and we'll give them 12 hours to give us a response before we actually send it out to everybody else. Our big list is about 60,000 buyers, but most of the deals don't even make it that far. They'll, they'll get sold within that 20, 30 buyer list that we have. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So in 2022, what do you think has been like the most, like a significant way to generate leads of those three methods? 2022 for us, the most effective one has been text messaging. Okay, nice. As a homeowner with multiple properties, I get nonstop texts, phone calls, uh, letters and all that stuff. So I, I'm always curious, like what's the best method that people actually respond back to you? We always have, um, and it fluctuates, uh, text messaging. It, it takes, it's, it's high maintenance. Right. So you, it's not like you can just get a bunch of numbers and then blast off for, for, you know, and keep it clean for the year. Like we have to constantly come back and then recycle the phone numbers, take a look at the verbiage that's being red flagged by the carriers and adjust that kind of stuff. See what new compliances are. And they're coming up with com like compliance stuff like every single month. So we stay on top of that. That's why we keep the SMS campaigns uh, going. One thing that's always been evergreen has been cold calling, though. We actually have an in-house cold calling team. I mean, they're just going to town every single day on their metrics, the stuff that they need to reach. So that's like the backbone marketing. And then we'll supplement that with SMS, with pay-per-click. Um, every now and then we'll do like niched out direct mail type of stuff, but the response rate is real low. So we'll pick, a, we'll pick and choose uh, what we do there. And what would you say is like, uh, I guess, typical marketing costs on a monthly basis for you guys? The data is going to be the most expensive part. So, for example, I have, um, I mean, you're talking about 1000 1500 if you're buying data and then you're going through a power dialer and if you're reaching about maybe 10,000 people normally like a month. So if you buy a list of 10,000, you hit that a month, you're probably going to be spending about anywhere from 1000 to about 1500 to reach them all, actually have those conversations and then skip trace, um, do that, you know, that whole process. So when you say 1500 like... You know, anyone can get uh, software like PropStream for like $99 per month. So where does the like 1500 come come into play? Oh, a lot of it is going to be on skip tracing and actually buying the lists. And then if you're doing SMS, if you, so if you're sending out text messages, uh, there's going to be a fee for that for every message that makes it out. Got it. So for every text message is like, what, three to 10 cents, something like that? 
Right, exactly. So to, to kind of ballpark it, if you're hitting about 10,000 people a month and you're doing cold calling and SMS, text messaging, you're spending about 1500 bucks somewhere in there. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess uh, it takes that much, right? Like for 10,000 contacts, you are averaging 12 deals? Yeah. Well, I mean, you throw in follow-ups and the KPIs are a little bit, you know, just kind of some are from, you know, three, four months ago and whatnot, but they, they trickle in. Um, but yeah, I mean, normally we get about 30 prospects on average, 25 to 30 prospects a week. That's really what gives us the, um, you know, the juice to get about anywhere, anywhere from eight to 12 deals a month. And I mean, that's a, that sounds like a lot of people, right? It's a lot of follow-ups, a lot of like meetings and whatnot. So how big is your acquisition team right now to handle all that? So you have, well, think about it, right? We have on, if we get 30 leads a week, we have a hundred or prospects and these are prospects. They're pre-qualified. So we go through a lead pre-qualifying process and whatnot. So they make it to actual acquisitions and negotiation, but 25 to 30, that's 120, you know, a month, right? On top of the follow-ups, because we're still, I mean, we're, we're religiously committed to following up. Uh, fun fact, most of the deals get locked up between the fifth and the eighth follow-up. So uh, anybody out there who's calling, doing follow-ups and sequences and whatever, and these are in-person, I mean, we actually date, we carry the date forward, we call them. And um, if you're not doing that kind of stuff and you're following up with your leads or prospects, you're leaving a lot of money on the table, a lot. Um, so yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but uh, I thought that was important. Oh, it's very important. I mean, uh, I think most people give up after the second or third try. And you hear you are saying five or eight. Yeah, they unless they tell us to, you know, go to hell and don't ever call me again, or I sold the property, and we verify if they sold the property just in public records, they stay on the follow-up sequence. Those are the only two things that will get them off our list. If they specifically ask us not to call them again, we put them on the DNC. And we always screen, you know, for the DNC and that kind of stuff. So what would you say are, like, your favorite software platforms that you use for this business? We do a lot of work with Batch, Batch uh, Services. So we, we wholesale nationally. My main market is Maricopa County, which is Phoenix. So we do a lot of stuff here. Here we cold call SMS and all that stuff. PPC campaigns, we have it open to national. So we get leads from everywhere. And uh, for that kind of stuff, we use, uh, we use Batch, you know, for running comparables to skip tracing. The quality of the data is really good. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good company. And they're always improving their products and stuff like that. So I like, I like how they work. Can you tell me a little bit more about Batch? Because I haven't heard that one before. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's batch services. So you have batch skip tracing. That's one of them. They have batch leads, which is a lead stacking software. So if you have a bunch of different lists, you can throw them all in there and it will actually filter out and tell you like which out of your list, which properties are vacant, which properties are absentee owned, which properties are, you know, what, right? So you're able to create sub filters off of all that stuff and stack your lists, which is a, a really cool strategy when you're trying to pinpoint like a specific area or a specific niche, right? Somebody who has, who's got like five different pain points. Okay, cool. You're going to look at the five filters and then pull lists from, from that. And then they have, we do our SMS mass marketing or text mass marketing is done from there. Now they're pretty good about compliance too. So, and they have a dialer. So they have a bunch of different services, which, which I, you know, we keep it all, it's kind of like simple because they are like the platforms talk to each other. Right. It's all in one house. Yeah. And that's batch services. Okay. And you mentioned that you do this nationally now. So your main market is in Phoenix, but let's say you get a deal in like Connecticut. How do you go about dispositioning that? We have a 21-day dispo process uh, that we follow. So we'll tap into the markets. We'll do a couple of different things. So um, JV happens all the time, meaning joint venture partnerships in, in different places where we don't have boots on the ground. We'll, do, uh, we'll find boots on the ground. I'm a real estate broker. So it's, you know, once you drop that, it's kind of easy to connect with agents anywhere in the, you know, in, in just in the U.S. because you have the validity, right? So, but if we build relationships with the real estate agents, usually 
the agents that are getting started, not the ones that are super you know, established, uh, because they don't want to run around and then open doors and stuff like that. But the new ones are hungry. So you, you can find you know, real hungry agents who are driven and whatnot. So we'll partner up with them for boots on the ground. You're talking pictures. You're talking that sort of thing. We have a deal that's virtual. And then a lot of times they have their own buyers. They have their own investors that they come in. So they'll make a cut of that deal. That's one of them. Um, we use a couple of different platforms for Dispo. Um, Investor Lift is one of them. It's a national cash buyers list. Uh, it's pricey, but it works. It's effective. And then uh, we have our process, our seven-day process of finding buyers. So we actually have a process that's repeatable, and we use it in every single market. When we do research, we have a way of doing research and finding sellers and then doing the same thing and finding buyers for, for those same areas. So, um, yeah, we have you know that whole process laid out. Cool. So you guys aren't scared of getting a deal on a contract because in the back of your minds, you're like, I know I could sell this. Yeah. And, and you're going to have attrition. Like whoever tells you that they sell 100% of their deals is either they're not doing it or they're lying, <laughs> which is the same thing. <laughs> but uh, there's always attrition, right? But for example, our deal to close ratio is 87%, I think. So it's a small amount. Sometimes you have, you know, those offset properties that are out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of niched out. Really, nobody cares for them. Nobody wants them. You Maybe you locked it too high because of the area. Uh, right now for us, for example, it's uh, anything in, Mar- in Phoenix, Maricopa County, we know like the, the back of our hands, right? So it, it's, it, we, I can't remember the last time we, we overpriced something. Or, you know, in terms of an offer. But uh, so we know that. However, there's areas that we don't know how and we get, you know, deals because of paper clicks. You know, we have PPC campaigns going all over the place Uh, and those commands, they can be challenging. But we'll use batch leads for that data uh, research. They have a a ton of um, they're tapped into the MLSs. So you get MLS data straight from that. So we use we leverage that quite a bit. Now, after you get the property under contract from the seller, how do you go about letting them know that you are wholesaling this or do they even know that it's being wholesaled? No, we, we tell them actually before we even get the property into contract. So we have, uh, if you're talking like conversationally, uh, how, how does the, the script goes or go? It's, um, you know, we let them know as we're going through the uh, purchase agreement, we let them know that we have multiple ways of exiting the properties. We have multiple different exit strategies. If it's something that we can flip, you know, we'll come in and take it down. We'll take the flip. We have money partners that come in and they may, you know, uh, buy the property from us. So we'll assign it to them. That's another exit strategy. Maybe we'll come in. If we like it, we'll keep it for the portfolio. And these are all legit stuff that we do, right? So we're not making anything up. Um, but we let them know. However, we always close off that section of the conversation with anything that we do. However, we exit this deal or keep it. Nothing changes on your side. You're still going to get your amount. The, uh, you know, whatever pops up on the settlement statement, that number is still going to be what you get. So we always reaffirm that with, you know, with the seller. Dude, uh, uh, a lot of times people are sketchy about, well, I don't want to tell people that I'm not actually buying the property. I mean, we're, we're open and honest with them. You know, I may be the buyer for this. Maybe one of my financial or money partners is going to come in and take it over, but nothing changes on your end. So it just depends on the exit strategy and how fast we can move on, you know, on getting it done. Uh, but nothing changes in terms of, okay, we're going to close with you within 30 days. You're going to get the price that, you, you know, we told you you were going to get. There's going to be no inspections. There's going to be, you know, all that stuff. All that stuff stays in place. And that's what they really care for. They, they just don't, sellers don't want to feel like they're being taken advantage of. And it's easy to lose, uh, quote unquote, rapport, right, with them uh, because sellers will smell the bullshit a mile away. Exactly. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we're worried about, right? If we don't do it very often, it's like, yeah. well, in the settlement statement, they're going to see that like I made $30,000 above what they made. And they're going to be like, Sean, what the fuck? Like, why are, why am I getting paid less than what yeah. you know, I should have been? 
No, and we tell and we tell them, for example, if there's a markup on there, uh, if we're going to sign it or double close it, do whatever, um, we tell them there's going to be a markup on our end. You know, I'm not sure if that markup is going to be 5K or maybe, you know, 20, 30K. It depends on the strategy that we have for, with the end buyer. If we end up assigning it, if we don't keep it, if we don't flix it ourselves, like this is what's going to happen, right? And when the time comes, I mean, they still made their money. It's almost an upfront agreement for the exit price, you know, for the settlement statement. That's really what it is. Well, I have three principles, man, in my, in my, in my companies and they go across the uh, the company so we keep it simple right three main principles number one is radical transparency we let them know what's happening we will tell them you know if, if I'm, I'm not going to come in and then tell them i'm your buyer if i feel that i can't close on this deal and somebody else is going to be coming in right and buying it we'll let them know we have money partners they come in at the settlement stand you're going to see you're going to see a different name you know on it your side of the of the deal does not change though like what we're agreeing on right now it's it stands. That's the first principle, right? Radical transparency. The second one is extreme ownership uh, of anything that's happening in the in the company. Everybody stays on their lane, right? Acquisitions does acquisitions. Dispo does dispo. There's a lot of communication back and forth, but at the end of the day, it's extreme ownership for each one of the uh, tasks and responsibilities, everything that's happening. And then the last one that we have is people over profits. We never screw anybody up to turn a dollar to make a profit on, on anything. If we feel like we're taking advantage of somebody, I mean, for example, I'll give you a case in point. Uh, one of my acquisition reps was uh, was talking to this uh, lady. She's 87 years old. She just wanted to sell the property and whatnot. She had no idea what the real estate market was, you know, looking like. She was still thinking pricing was, you know, around the, the 2009, 2010, you know, price points. And my acquisition guy, like, he took the, the time to actually educate her through the process. He committed a, a, a way lower offer. The lady would have never found out, but it's unethical, right? So people were profits. Those three principles just walk us through pretty much anything that we've come across in terms of how to operate, right? And, and, you know, ethically uh, and morally and actually create win-wins around everything that we're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and plus they understand that this is a business, right? Like you are not just out there buying houses and losing money on them. Exactly. Radical transparency. Yeah. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. <laughs> if I'm not your buyer, I'm not your buyer. We don't convince people. Uh, as a wholesaler, the worst thing that you can do is convince anybody to sell you a house. Right. Because I mean, if they wanted to, if they want top dollar, they should just put on the market, right? You're not the person to buy it. Exactly. And if that's the case, like we'll tell them, uh, listen, I mean, your house is top notch. It's in really good shape. I don't see, you know, have you tried listing it with an agent? Like we always ask that. Uh, and they, if they say no, why not? It's either going to give them some, you know, some legitimate route or it's going to give you some insight as to what the real problem is. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really good question throw, throw in. Don't, do not be afraid of asking, have you tried listing this with an agent? I do the same thing with a hard money loans. So I'm a hard money lender and sometimes people come to me for loans. I say, have you tried going to a bank yet? Like, and if not, why not? You know? Because I don't want to go through the whole process too and only find out, oh, I could have gone to the bank and got a much lower, much lower rate and then you go with the bank anyway. So let's get those major objections out of the way right in the beginning. Dequalify. Exactly. It's, it's good to dequalify people, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I was also wondering for wholesaling, a big question that I always get is where do you find contracts? How do you find contracts that allow you to assign these deals to other people? The contracts that we have in-house, we've, I mean, we've been drafting just clauses and removing and adding and, and working with that kind of stuff for the last seven years or so. But yeah, I mean, every, every state is going to have, uh, not, everyone, not, not every state, but a lot of them have just different variations. For example, there's a couple of states that require a, a real estate license. There's about two of them. 
two or three that require a real estate license. Some just require disclosures. So your contract is going to vary a little bit based off of that kind of stuff. But it's it's not huge variations. I mean, a, a decent uh, you know boilerplate contract that you take to your attorney can be easily edited. That's one of the things that we do. For example, like we provide all the paperwork in, in the uh, in the coaching program that that I run. It's a wholesale business blueprint. Um, but I you know even even so, like I still have them go to their local attorney and see if there's anything uh, that's missing for their particular county. You're gonna see a lot of contracts out there. The big thing is to still take that either to your title agent and have them review it, give you a green light on that, or have an attorney just come in and then take a look at it. Okay, got it. So if someone's like brand new and maybe they found a contract either online or through a program or even just taking one from like the realtors associations, take that contract and then go to their local attorney or title officer to review it and make sure that this is legit and you can use this contract to assign deals. Right, right, right. Yeah, you can do that. One thing that that I can do, and I don't know if you, you if you're okay with this or not, but um, I can probably just drop one of my boilerplate contracts as a template on there uh, for your audience. So uh, I'll give you a link after that. Yeah, sure. I mean, if there's a link, you can just go and say it, and they can go check it out. Yeah, well, reiwholesaling.com forward slash contract. Then we'll do that as a as a link. Cool. So if anyone listening, you guys want a easy template to start with, go ahead and check that out, and then. Um... At least you'll have it and take it to a top company or your attorney to fix it for your specific state. Yep, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Rafael, this has been awesome. I feel like I've learned so much about wholesaling. Um, We recently moved from the Bay Area to Texas. So we're actually starting up our active real estate business again, you know? Um, So all that is like finding new markets. I'll probably be driving for dollars sometime later this month. And, uh, you know, we'll probably be doing some more active real estate going forward. Yeah. What market are you in? So we're in Dallas right now. Dallas. I was just in Dallas two weeks ago. I spoke at, at an event out there. Very nice. Yeah. So is there anything else you think that our listeners should know about wholesaling before we wrap up our show today? If I were to start all over again and do anything, I would start with wholesaling. I've tried and done you know, multiple things as an entrepreneur and whatnot, but this is one of the most low barrier to entry opportunities out there, I think. So consider it, take a look at it, you know, learn about it. More importantly, take action, right? Find somebody who can you know, help you cut the learning curve. Either go work for somebody, get a mentor. I was very skeptical about, you know, getting mentorship and that sort of thing. And I mean, it's not just about learning the knowledge, but it's tapping into the networks and really cutting five, 10 years from trial and error, which gets expensive. So that's one. And then um, as far as anybody can do it, you know, the type of deal you hear all the time, right? But but this is this is not a complicated process. It just takes tenacity. There's right out of the gate, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of rejection. You have a lot of conversations. Uh, sometimes people can be mean over the phone and whatnot, and you feel like you're bummed out and your energy is low. Uh, but if you keep your ultimate goal in line and you're driven by a purpose of just, you know, scaling up and leveling up your lifestyle and, you know, gaining that level or that degree of freedom, financial freedom and time freedom, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to keep you going, right? So, if you're dabbling, it's not going to work. If you commit to it, it's going to work. Awesome. And how can people find out more about you? I'm pretty active on social media everywhere. Uh, YouTube channel is also uh, pretty active. And uh, you can find me anywhere at Rafael Cortez CEO. R-A-F-A-E-L Cortez CEO. Wonderful. Well, Rafael, thank you again so much for being on the show today. I think this was absolutely wonderful and amazing value. Thanks again so much for coming on the show and hope to see you again soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you for the invite. Appreciate it, man. I hope you like this episode. You can find the show notes with all the links on our site, everythingrei.com. If you like the podcast, please help us grow by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends to listen as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.